Watch your step there, listeners. We've got some trip hazards we need to patch up around here. Welcome to Nashville Anthems, dissecting 80s and 90s country music. I'm your host, Melton McManerberry, and many thanks to the Restless Fire Ant Band for providing this episode's theme music. On this podcast, we're falling through the songs played on Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station one at a time to see what they can tell us about why this era and this genre of music seem to work so particularly well. Today, we're leaving the confines of this earthly temple to peer through Steve Warner's 1998 hit, Holes in the Floor of Heaven. So, if you haven't already, why don't you pause this podcast now and go ahead and give Holes in the Floor of Heaven a few close listens. I'll also be referring to a couple of previous selections if you want to refresh your memory on those as well. That would be Warner's Two Teardrops, which I'm going to guess at least some of you saw coming as a point of comparison. And our first selection, Patty Lovelace's How Can I Help You Say Goodbye. And now, let's get into it. Well, first off, as always, let's give credit where credit is due to save you the trouble of reading the Wikipedia article yourself. Ever the song craftsman, Steve Warner wrote Holes in the Floor of Heaven, along with songwriting partner Billy Kirsch. Ever also a multifaceted threat, much like Warner did on this song's close cousin, Two Teardrops, Warner produced Holes in the Floor of Heaven and pretty obviously supplied the acoustic guitar for the track, as well as obviously singing it. Get used to comparisons to Two Teardrops, folks, because there are going to be a lot of them in this episode. Well, chart-wise, as the first single off of Warner's 13th studio album and Warner's first single since he experienced an unexpected career renaissance in the late 90s, courtesy in large part to Garth Brooks in previous Nashville anthem selection, Long Neck Bottle, Holes in the Floor of Heaven made it to number two on the U.S. Billboard chart, held out of the top spot by... Boy, Tim and Faith just kept doing this to Stephen Vince in the late 90s, didn't they? It was Tim who would hold two teardrops out in 1999, and it was Faith who held Holes in the Floor of Heaven out in 1998 with her unstoppable hit, This Kiss. Well, kind of like with Vince Gill's Look at Us in 1992, despite never winning Song of the Week, if you will, Holes in the Floor of Heaven picked up both the CMA and the ACM Song of the Year Award in 1998. Boy, Vince Gill and Steve Warner really do have a lot in common, don't they? It's funny that it was Garth Brooks and not Vince Gill that Warner duetted with to get that career resurgence in the 90s. Brooks and Warner being pretty different artists stylistically. Steve, Vince, we're still waiting on that epic collaboration, guys. I know you've got it in you. Don't overthink this. But back to Holes in the Floor of Heaven. Listeners, it's time to keep it real. I really struggled with this episode more than I have on any other so far. Remember, what we're trying to do on this podcast is to gain an understanding of why each of these selections works. And in so doing understand why 80s and 90s country music hits such a sweet spot more broadly. And we've run into a few that I kind of didn't think worked all that well, and I tried to make my case about why that was in those episodes, hoping that that exercise would also further our goal. And I have to say, I think it did, because I try to keep my taste out of this podcast as much as possible, right? Because who cares what I like and don't like? If you listen, it's because you're interested in this music and maybe think I have an insight or two to share that may enhance your appreciation of it. I'm a student, not a critic, right? But the date's a little different. The concrete facts that I mentioned a moment ago tell us that this song was widely loved, at least in 1998. And that means that the problem really is my own taste here, getting in the way of appreciating what must be a worthy artifact of the music that this podcast is interested in. So with that disclaimer, I'm going to do the best I can to describe what I'm hearing in Holes of the Floor of Heaven, for better or for worse, knowing 
But I'm leaving myself wide open to be strongly contradicted on most of this. Actually, I invite that. I absolutely want you to email me at meltonmcmainerberry at gmail.com or connect with this podcast on social media and engage me on some of this. Please enrich my understanding, folks. I also want to give a shout-out to DJ Jason Marsden. You can find him on Instagram. You can book him at your next wedding. He is real, folks. Because I reached out to him when I was preparing for this episode because I was struggling so hard, and I thought he might have an insight or two to add. So as I get to those, I'll be giving him credit, of course. Anyway, now let's get into Holes in the Floor of Heaven. I want to start with the question of tone. If you remember, tone was an issue we actually spent the entirety of the I'm Gonna Hire a Wino to Decorate Our Home episode on, because, at least to me, the tone of that song was so difficult to pin down. Well, that's definitely not the case here. Let let me ask you listeners, say out loud what you would call the tone of Holes in the Floor of Heaven. I'm hoping you came up with some, at least kind of positive words, maybe sentimental. It's certainly that, but for me, this song is really over-the-top sentimental and crosses the line into a tone that I'm going to call sappy. Let's start by acknowledging, and we found this to be quite common in 80s and 90s country music, that tonally, the song employs absolutely zero irony. There is not the slightest trace that anything Warner is singing is remotely tongue-in-cheek or to be taken anything but face value. And remember, this was the 90s. This was 1998, only two years after Alanis Morissette had top five pop hit called Ironic and complete with Rain on a Wedding Day, just like Holes in the Floor of Heaven. Credits to Jason Marsden for helping me with that connection. For all that song's semantic problems, which are themselves ironic, but we certainly won't go there on this podcast. My point here, though, is... Not that the lack of irony in Holes in the Floor of Heaven is remarkable. That's practically a defining characteristic of country music, after all. And it's all the more genre-defining because of its lack of conformity to the Gen X culture of its time. My point is that this song is so over-the-top in its sentimentality that it actually starts to make sense as parody. You know what I mean? When something is this on the nose, so straightforwardly serious, at least for the Gen Xer talking to you right now, it gets hard to take seriously. It's full house when you're used to watching The Simpsons. I mean, y'all, in the video, there are literal holes in the floor, okay? So, you know, maybe the generational thing is part of what's going on here in the gap between my appreciation for this song and others' appreciation for it. I mentioned I'm a Gen Xer, so I'm quite comfortable laughing at things that are supposed to make me cry. Actually, the more manipulated toward crying that I feel about something, the more likely I am to laugh at it. But... Steve Warner is not a Generation Xer, and remember, this is Warner's song. From conception to execution to finished product, it's all him. Steve Warner is a baby boomer. He was born Christmas Day, actually, thank you Wikipedia, 1954. That would put him 43 when he recorded this song, and maybe Holes in the Floor of Heaven makes sense as a grown-up song, if you will, for that generation, who were squarely middle-aged and thinking about legacies and kids' weddings and things like that, well, my generation, we're still know-it-all teenagers and 20-somethings. Good example of a contemporary pop song in the same vein, Butterfly Kisses. Remember that one? Bob Carlyle. That came out one year earlier, 1997, and has First Dance at Your Daughter's Wedding written all over it, too, just like Holes in the Floor does, at least for a specific situation. But we'll go more deeply in the specific life situations and stages that the song narrates in a moment. But let's spend a little more time on the song's heavily sentimental lyrical tone for now. 
Because everything I just said describes Two Teardrops as well, which was a song that I found remarkable exactly for not being sappy, despite what seemed to me to be forces trying to push it in that direction. So what's different about Holes in the Floor of Heaven? Well, in addition to being irony-free, you've got a couple of like supernatural ideas going on here that the song is really all about. And unlike Two Teardrops, where the actions of these personified teardrops were clearly presented as metaphors for the ebb and flow cycles of life, and Holes in the Floor of Heaven, they are presented as straightforward reality. And though this is not a religion or theology podcast in which we'd want to dive deeply into the exact framework these ideas fit into or flow out of, I argue that at least one of them is bizarre enough to cause some incongruity, even for, if you will, the lay listener. So let's talk about what exactly they are. So these Holes in the Floor of Heaven, according to the song, do two things. One, they allow your lost loved ones to peep down from heaven and watch you, more specifically to watch over you in some guiding or protective way. And secondly, they, I'm not making this up, provide conduits for your lost loved ones' tears to flow down from heaven to you in the form of rain. Yeah. Now, the former idea is, I think, a fairly common one, especially one that a parent might say to comfort a child, as happens in the first verse here. But It's that second one that, at least for me, seems to come out of nowhere and puts the song over the top. I mean, holes through which tears become raindrops? Has anyone ever heard of this before? And, okay, when told to an eight-year-old kid, as it is here at first, maybe you can argue that it's the sort of simplification of some greater truth that you have to make to a kid to help them understand and cope with a sad reality. Okay, let's concede that point. But what about the next couple of verses? See, if the singer received and was helped by this children's version of the reality of death at eight years old, what is happening when he is still using this idea to comfort himself as an adult? I mean, even his own now-adult daughter in the last verse is using it to comfort him. And again, the song gives no invitation to question how healthy all this actually is. And the issue here, just to be clear, isn't that the idea of these holes being conduits for teardrops is supernatural. For the record, I'm a Christian. I believe plenty of things that natural science would call impossible or absurd. Many of you probably do too. In fact, most of you probably do. That That's not the problem. The problem is that specifically this teardrops as rain idea is less of a religious idea in the song than a child's coping mechanism taken too far. Okay, so that's the lyrics. What about musically? What's going on and holes in the floor of heaven. Well, you know i got to talk about major sevenths, right? These keep coming up, and they keep coming up very specifically with the highest melody note from a tenor singer. And yep, it's happened again. We saw this in Pretty Little Adriana. We saw it in Colin Ray's I Can Still Feel You. We saw it in Love in the First Degree. And now, here it is in Holes in the Floor of Heaven. And there was a similar idea in Ronnie Millsap's He Got You as well, though it wasn't quite the highest note. But it certainly had a similar effect to what's happening here. It's become so common that I think we have to add it to our list of potentially defining tools in the 80s and 90s country music toolbox. And this tool seems to get employed when a country song needs a dose of melancholy. Now, arguably, Holes in the Floor of Heaven exactly did not need an extra dose of melancholy. But it has it, and it has it in great quantity, nonetheless. So where do you hear major sevenths in this song? Well, they're mostly over the four chords in the chorus, which is a common idea. So this song is in the piano-friendly key of D-flat major. And the basic chord pattern in the chorus is this. It's G-flat, A-flat, and D-flat. 
sometimes varying by going to the relative minor at the end, like this, G flat, A flat, and B flat minor. And that progression is generally over this melody or something close to it. Cause there's holes in the floor of heaven. That high note being an F, which is, you guessed it, the major seventh of a G flat chord, which is the four chord in D flat. Now, sharp ears and sharp memories may have picked up on the fact that this is exactly the melody note and chord that we highlighted as part of the 80s schmaltz of Love in the First Degree. So long ago. But it also showed up once per verse on that song. And here it shows up in the chorus. Let's count them. Let's see. Holes in the floor. That's one, that word holes. Cause there's holes in the floor of heaven. Tears are coming down is actually not one. It's the same note, but it's over the five chord, A flat. It's actually the sixth over the five chord. Similar idea, but it doesn't quite count. And her tears are pouring down. How you know she's watching, that's another major seventh over a G flat chord. That's how you know she's watching. Sometimes if you're lonely, that's number three. Sometimes if you're lonely. Remember she can see, that's another, that's four. Just remember she can see. Holes in the floor, once again, that's number five. There's holes in the floor of heaven. Watching over you. He snuck another one in right there. That would be number six. Watching over you and me. So six major sevenths on the four chord, on the highest melody note, crammed into this 42nd chorus. And not that there's anything wrong with that, per se, but it's a lot. And it's in a song that was already, frankly, over-the-top melancholy and sentimental. So again, what we're missing here is subtlety, nuance. Where is the lightness of touch that Warner gave to two teardrops? Which, if you remember, used subtler sixth chords rather than major sevenths for a similar effect. Well, finally, what about instrumentation on Holes in the Floor of Heaven? So, and this has emerged as a defining feature of 80s and 90s country music for sure. You've got a lot of instruments on this track. I'm hearing light bass guitar and drums... Seasons come and seasons go, nothing stays the same. Acoustic guitar, more on that in a second. There's like a really faint blink and you'll miss it electric guitar and or pedal steel that shows up in a few spots. It's really nice, actually. Heaven and her tears are pouring down. And there's piano a la two teardrops. I grew up, fell in love, met a girl who took my name. Actually, all of the above is basically identical to two teardrops. A song noteworthy for its apparent sparseness, as we discussed, and acousticality in the instrumental track, despite, again, the high quantity of instruments. Now, on that note, let me say this. Steve Warner's acoustic guitar on Holes in the Floor of Heaven is easily the best thing about the song, in my opinion. I'm talking about both the finger-picked acoustic rhythm guitar and the far-too-short lead acoustic guitar solo. It's like, oh no, Steve, that was awesome, give me more. 
felt like it was just about to go somewhere when it abruptly stopped, right? I, I wondered if maybe it actually was trimmed for time, but I can only speculate on that. But anyway, the acoustic guitar is absolutely my favorite thing about this song, and something that could have been as defining for the song instrumentally as it was in Two Teardrops. It's maybe interesting that this song is in D-flat, by the way, because that's not at all a guitar-friendly key. It's in fact a tritone away from the key of G, which is probably the most guitar-friendly key. In other words, it's as far away from guitar-friendly as it could possibly be. And you can actually see Warner using a capo on his acoustic guitar in the video, I'm sure, for that reason. And I'm also pretty sure that situating the song in D-flat was all about getting Warner on these ubiquitous high Fs. It's a really nice note for his voice, as we saw in Two Teardrops. Oh, the ocean's a little bit bigger tonight. Speaking of, we noted in that episode, having no idea we would be tackling Holes on the Floor of Heaven just a few episodes later. But we noted in that episode that Two Teardrops, for a rather, though I argue not overly, sentimental late 90s country song, wisely and deftly avoided the like obvious strings that you would have certainly heard from, say, Lone Star at the time. But... Sadly, in my view, we cannot say the same about Sister Song, Holes in the Floor of Heaven, which absolutely and unapologetically makes heavy use of strings. And strings that, again, in my view, confuse the sonic character of a song that wants to be mostly acoustic, I like two teardrops, kind of throwing subtlety and depth of touch out the window to some end that I can't say I grasp. But if you can grasp that end and you understand better than I do, help me out. Well, after laboring the question of tone in this song from a few different angles, I want to circle back to the lyrics and note something that's come up at least a couple of other times for us, such that it seems to be worth unpacking as a feature of 80s and 90s country music more broadly. And that's the idea of narrating stages of life. So we saw this heavily on How Can I Help You Say Goodbye, as well as Two Teardrops. Alan Jackson's Living on Love also does this. I'm going to be somebody did it a little bit as well, although we argued that both of those seem to gloss over some important details due to their idealism. Tim McGraw's Don't Take the Girl would also be a great example of this, although we haven't gotten to that one yet. And another shout-out to DJ Jason Marsden for reminding me about Ricky Van Shelton's extremely similar Keep It Between the Lines, a song I've actually always liked. How's that for a double standard? You can even argue that Jody Messina's I'm Alright does this narrating of stages of life. So sometimes a country song will zero in on a life stage or two, like How Forever Feels, Wild One, and Look at Us are all great examples of that. And some more deal with the overall arc of life, maybe briefly hitting major milestones. Again, that's clearly How Can I Help You Say Goodbye, as well as Two Teardrops. And that's certainly the camp that Holes on the Floor of Heaven falls into. Now, two teardrops approach this by taking a step back and talking about how major life events fit into a larger sort of fate-driven circle of life epitomized by these metaphorical drifting teardrops. How can I help you say goodbye approached it by keeping it relatable and intimate using very specific names and believable details along with the trump card. Patty Loveless is just absolutely spot on delivery to paint a maternal, comfortable picture of coping. Sitting with mom. Alone in her bedroom. So how does Holes on the Floor of Heaven approach the stages of life narration? Well, really for Holes on the Floor, life revolves around death. And we saw that same thing pop up in our two main examples here, Two Teardrops and How Can I Help You Say Goodbye. Neither were afraid to deal with death. And 
In fact, I'd argue that one of the great things about country music is that it will actually tackle an uncomfortable and generally taboo subject like death head-on. So, in my opinion, like those two, Holes in the Floor of Heaven is actually on the right track with that. And you could compare it to other, if you will, country funeral songs, like Vince Gill's Go Rest High on That Mountain, featuring Patti Loveless, by the way. She seems to be good at this sort of thing, doesn't she? Go rest high on that mountain. Or Brad Paisley's When I Get Where I'm Going is another. Yeah, when I get where I'm going There'll be only happy tears. Or even less explicit ones like Diamond Rio's One More Day and Garth Brooks's The Dance. So country music isn't afraid of this subject, but in all those cases, the maturity and realism of the point of view is clear and is therefore poignant. Where Holes in the Floor of Heaven, in my view, misses the mark is in its derailment on exactly this front. Is it winking at childhood simplicity like check yes or no? Or is it giving an honest evaluation of adult life, like I'll try to look at us? I don't think I know, and I'm not sure the song itself does either. And that's ultimately where this humble podcaster thinks the actual holes in this song are. And that's all I have to say about that. Again, send me your pushback and let's engage, but for now, let's move on. It's time to find out what song we'll be looking at on the next episode of Nashville Anthems. To that end, I'm going to pull up Satellite Radio's 80s and 90s country station right now and see what's playing. We're going back to Alabama. The song is Take Me Down. We'll take ourselves down to that song in two weeks. In the meantime, look up Nashville Anthems on Instagram, look us up on Facebook, connect. Thanks a lot for listening. It's truly an honor. And I will see you in two weeks. Bye for now. I'll second here. Looks great. Full, a lot of sad. <laughs>